This is the Light and Life Podcast. Loving from where we stand, a call to biblically faithful ministry with the LGBTQ plus community is the topic of our conversation today with author and FM superintendent Bruce Cromwell. This is an essential conversation for all free Methodists as we continue to root our beliefs deeply in the scriptures and yet beautifully embody the love of God for all persons. This is a conversation that can help us all navigate the shifting culture while remaining true to both the character and words of Jesus. I'm your host, Brett Heinzman, and you are invited to listen in. All right, well, thanks for joining us today here on the Light and Life podcast. Today, my guest is Reverend Bruce Cromwell. Bruce is the superintendent of our Great Plains and Mid-America annual conferences here in the Free Methodist Church. And thanks for joining me, Bruce. Really great to have you today. Oh, it's so good to be with you, my friend. Thank you. Awesome. Well, hey, we, we are going to dive right in today because there's a, an incredible announcement to make about a new book that you've just written. I've had the pleasure of working with you on this book. The book is titled Loving from Where We Stand, The Call to Biblically Faithful Ministry with the LGBTQ plus community. And in a day and age when we have a lot of diversity of thought and polarized opinions and even elevated emotions, over this issue, we felt as Free Methodists, it was time for a work that that stated clearly who we are as Free Methodists regarding not this issue, but people, because really we're talking about people, right? So obviously you don't just sit down and write a book like this one day. Tell us like, where where did this come from? Why why now? Why you on this topic? Well, as you said, this isn't even a new issue. I, I think we have had LGBTQ plus persons in our churches probably my entire life. We just didn't know. People didn't know how to articulate it, didn't feel safe. We just didn't know how to talk about it, or it wasn't as widespread or widely known as when you start having Ellen come out on national TV, and you have Will and Grace, and you have you have things in popular culture that normalize LGBTQ plus issues and persons, and so more and more people feel free talking about it. The issue became more and more pronounced. As you know, I'm on the Study Commission on Doctrine, and a few yep. years ago, we were asked to look into this uh, before the 2015 general conference, when we passed our resolution on more uh, concretely defining what we believe marriage to be and what free Methodist elders are allowed to do when it comes to same sex marriage, or in this case, not allowed to do same with our facilities. So it was a study that I was involved with as part of the SCOD. And I think, Shortly after that study, shortly after general conference, still pastoring in a church. I was up in Lansing, Michigan. We had a lot of different people, and we had people who were openly LGBTQ+, who would come with questions. And I realized, you know, it would be good if we had a way to get all of this research we had done, or at least some way to bring it together, out to the general church, so that people can read some of the excellent things that we had on why do we believe what we believe, and here's what the scripture says. Or how do we fit within the church historic? Or how do we minister to someone who's going through just emotional and psychological trauma, dealing with their own sense of inadequacy or failure or guilt or shame or condemnation or, you know, throw whatever word you want in there. I just felt impressed upon me. I should sit down and write a book. And so we started and here we are. Awesome. Well, you know, it's amazing that you talked about 
these ideas of guilt and shame, and I'm sure that runs through people's minds. I mean, every one of us has experienced guilt and shame over something in our life. You know, guilt is uh, the thing I've done is bad, but shame is I'm bad. But I think that this actually, let's begin with one thing that was just articulated within the last couple of annual or general conferences, and that is we added to our paragraph about dignity and worth of persons. And if there's anything optimistic about Wesleyan theology, and Wesleyan theology in general is an optimistic theology, it is because of this idea that God is a redeeming God and persons are to be dignified and have worth. How how does that issue, that stance, uh, like lay a, a foundational work as we have this conversation? Well, if people pick up the book, uh, they'll see right out of the gate. I mean, it's it's the initial chapter we're talking about. Our primary identity is not found in my profession. It's not found in my uh, relationships, Uh, even though I'm a husband, a father, a son, and I cherish all those deeply. It certainly isn't found in my sexual orientation. My primary identity is found in who I am in Christ. Amen. So we talk about this for all of us, that God so loved the world that whosoever believeth shall not perish. We believe that God desires that none should perish. And so no matter what I've done, God says I am forgivable. I am redeemable. He sent his son for that. And so I can look beyond the things the world might label me as, the things that I often label myself as, and begin to see myself as someone in whom the Holy Spirit dwells, someone for whom Mm -hmm. Christ died, that I live securely in the kingdom. And so I think starting right out of the gate, talking about that, this, this sort of broad discipleship narrative, with LGBTQ as a major component of this book in particular. But I think that lesson applies to all of us, whatever our struggles, whatever our challenges, whatever, you know, those words of condemnation we hear in our ear, it's that reminder that you are loved by a love greater than anything you've ever known. We have but to surrender to it, accept it, and believe that though God can't love us less and he won't love us more, you know, he's not going to leave us the same. He, he, he you know, will just love us into the fullness of who we're called to be in Christ. One of the things that you and I have talked about personally as we've worked through the book and we've, uh, you know, had many conversations back and forth, which I have enjoyed immensely, by the way. It's just been <laughs> Thank you. so awesome to, to work with you on this book is, is this idea that um, we tend to want to lower the bar for Christianity overall when it comes, because we are also people who live in this, now are our, our five values that we've identified, one of which is life-giving holiness. This idea that holiness is actually a life-giving, not life-choking kind of thing, that holiness moves us in the direction of the image of God. But how do we reconcile life-giving holiness with this issue, especially given the fact that people pull out conversations almost immediately? They're like, why are you picking on me about my sexuality when you don't when you don't put the same discipline on like the church gossip and let's just be honest, they are still there. They're not, you know, the church gossips and people who, who, who undignify other persons for a number of reasons, including, you know, the smallest of things. How do we, how do we just raise the bar for the church overall so that it's not, we're going to lower the bar on sexuality because we don't church discipline in other places. You get what I'm talking about. This whole. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, part of it's it's just having a more robust understanding of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I mean, he didn't he didn't come so that we would attend church on Sunday, and just so that we might feel a little bit better about ourselves today than we did yesterday. 
although I hope we attend church regularly where we can. And I hope we do grow deeper and deeper into that knowledge and that love and that peace and that security in God. But I think about, well, I mean, if people read the latest Light Life magazine with Pastor Tim Dwyer, he's got this great article and you had a great podcast on how salvation's invaded by the Trinity. There is more than just fire insurance. There's certainly more than, you know, just, you know, when the role is called up yonder, I'll be there. I'll fly away. You know, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through all these great hymns that I love. It's more than just getting to a destination. Amen. And so how do we help people live the life? How do we reclaim? And this is one of the reasons I love that we even articulated as the free Methodist way how do we become known as followers of the way, like the earliest Christians were? Yeah, it's not right. followers of the decision. It's not followers of the Jesus prayer. It's not followers of the creed, as much as all those things can help us. But it's a way. It's a journey. It's a life. And so we're all called to that deeper, deeper walk with God every single day, growing grow more and more and more into who he says we are and not who this world or our temptations or our past mistakes say we are. So really for everyone, it's about stepping onto this path of walking in the direction of Jesus. You know, it is, it's a path that includes surrendering myself to the authority of God. It's a path that includes a sacrifice of some kind of, of who I am and what I am. And so, yeah, I mean, these, these themes absolutely play into this. So let's talk in specific. So this book actually helps pastors. In the way it helps pastors is because there is a chapter near the end that's kind of a Q&A, and it runs down some things that we can and can't do. So we don't want to, we, we can't go through all of them, of course, but you know, there's, there's a couple that are like, so, so let's talk about, I'll pick one. Let's, let's pick this one. Let's pick the, we have a LGBTQ plus couple in our church. It could be that the couple together has adopted, or it could be that one of the persons outside of that relationship has had a, a child through birth naturally, and they come to the church and they say, Pastor, I'd like for you to baptize my baby. Okay, now this is, this is one very real, and we address this issue in the book. This is one of those things that you have brought up. So let's talk about this for a second. They're very complex, so let's begin by like laying the foundation what is the what is the launch pad for you in answering this question? Uh, when it comes to baptism, I think we start by recognizing why are we wanting to bring this child, this infant, even the adult that comes and wants to be baptized? Why? So I'll go back and use your your infant analogy. For parents that I've had that I've done baptism or infant dedications for, I always start by asking them, why do you want to do this? Because there are a lot of parents who they've seen movies or they were raised a certain way, and they think if I don't get my baby baptized and they die, they won't go to heaven, which is just bad theology. So it's an opportunity to talk about what are we trying to do. And I think when people recognize the sacraments are a way for us to draw closer to God or a means of grace is you know, a very popular definition we would use. When you help people understand that this is a way to open ourselves up to what God wants to do in our life. I think from the pastoral point of view, it immediately brings to mind, why would I want to resist that for anyone? Why would I want to refuse that for anyone? So baptism and any of the sacraments are teaching opportunities to bring people closer to what is God doing in their life? What is God wanting them to do? 
we have very good and detailed baptisms liturgies. We have spelled out in the pastor's church leader's handbook and the book of discipline, other places, rituals that we can follow. So there should be some sort of catechetical instruction where you're meeting with the parents, you're meeting with the individuals, you're talking about why are they opening themselves up to God in this way. And it's an opportunity to pursue, this is not just a symbolic act. This is just not something that, hey, I got baptized, so now I have my card, and I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Again, like we just said, we want a lifestyle change, a full surrender to Christ. This is just one element of that, one way in which we're recognizing you are part of the greater body of Christ that is stretched on for millennia. You are now a part of something much bigger than yourself. And by this public declaration of faith, you are saying that I am throwing my lot in with these people as they seek to follow the Lord. But we're going to try to follow the Lord. So I think for me, it always starts with questions of why, what do you understand, and recognizing that baptism is less about what you've done to that point and more about what is God going to do in your life from this point forward. That's awesome. So it's not so much a barrier like, let's just be honest, and this is okay, because, you know, as pastors, sometimes we think, my goodness, this person is engaging in something likely in real time that is a known sin. So instead of it being a barrier, you can't because, it becomes an invitation of saying, well, let's talk about this, because you can if, um, and there's there's so much, I, I think that's great. That's the whole idea of means of grace, right? It draws us into God's grace. 100%. If people read the book, one of my favorite parts is something I didn't write. We're, I'm going to give credit to you where it deserves. And this is where you <laughs> asked in that chapter, you know, what is your yes to God? How do we get people to a place where they can say yes? I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's sort of the focus here. And how do we help them respond to what God is doing and yet wants to do, you know, for the rest of their life, through their lives. It doesn't mean you're perfect yet. Of course not. No one is claiming that. But it means we're choosing to walk in a certain way, to try to. And we want to be with this body of people. I think that's part of baptism done in the church. It's why when you have infant dedications or infant baptisms, you'll often have the church stand. Sure. They're a part of this. That couple is saying, we want to be a part of this group. So if it's a lesbian couple... I would assume that the pastor, that the leadership has talked to them about, here is our position on same-sex relationships, so that that couple would know where the church stands. Again, we're not shutting the door to them. We're not saying you can't be here, but we also help them understand this is what we believe God's plan for human sexual activity is, and this is what we believe is not. And if they want to be a part of us, knowing that that is our view and how we're going to journey with them and grow with them, and help them raise that child, then I think we're more than willing to have those conversations and to see them become a part of this body of faith, hoping that they will grow more and more into the likeness of Christ and not just reinforce what they already have. It's not a stamp of approval for what they've done. It's more almost an initiation into the body to see what we're going to become uh, and how God will still yet change us and move through us and do great things in our lives. Mm, I love that. This book is deeply rooted in scripture, Bruce, and you've done a great job of Old Testament and New Testament. And so I think let's let's pick on one for a second, because there's a passage in Deuteronomy that many people today will look to and they'll say, but that was only for, 
the Levitical law. There was, it really isn't relevant today. Or they even claim that, um, that sexual intercourse between men was only a prostitution thing and it wasn't meant for monogamous relationships. But you do an incredible job of laying out the scriptures and also the church historic as well as human experience, all but founded on scripture. Let's just talk about that one instance of the Deuteronomy passage for a moment and say, so how, how would you address the people who are writing that it was only for a specific time and it's kind of ceased to be applicable now? And how, how did you get there? That, that's, I mean, that's a good question. And I think that's fair to ask of a lot of things in scripture, because goodness knows there are many things that are commanded in scripture that we don't do anymore. Uh, you know, as I travel around my two conferences, I don't remember the last time, COVID notwithstanding, I don't remember the last time I was greeted with a holy kiss, <laughs> despite the fact that the New Testament tells us to do that, not even the old. You know, I'm probably wearing clothes that I would not be allowed to wear if I was a good kosher Jew back in the day, because there's a blended fiber or something. You know, there's so many rules that in different ways we have sort of decided that was cultural, this is permanent. And so asking, how do you know, I think is, is a good question. Now, that said, uh, we do, a, I think, a good job in the book. And Dr. David Bauer from Asbury, who's the dean of biblical languages there, was incredibly helpful in all of the scripture stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can look back and see there are some things that clearly are not intended for one specific person at one specific time in one specific place. There is a universal applicability to these truths of scripture. And I think we have to be very careful, especially when we start saying, well, that's the Old Covenant. Well, those are the Hebrew Scriptures. Well, that's the Old Testament, but the New has come. One, that's not at all what Jesus is referring to when he uses that phrase. But second, we can't jettison all of the Hebrew Scriptures just because we think they no longer apply. Christ doesn't. I mean, this is his Bible, or what we call the Hebrew Scriptures. And everything in the New Testament is built upon what we read in the law and the prophets and the Psalms, it, we have to continue to look at these and see this one continuous narrative of how God is bringing his people out of exile and returning us back to who we were called and created to be. Mm-hmm. It's not a new story when we get to Matthew. It's not like everything before can be forgotten. And so I think we have to be very careful to not pick and choose which parts we want to listen to and which ones we don't. Mm. Again, this is why I think there are excellent commentaries out there that do explain why we still care about sexual purity and some of these laws written in places like Deuteronomy and some of the enjoinders against men lying with men as if they would lie with the women, as we read about in Leviticus and other places, why we read about things like with Lot that happens in Sodom when the sure. people of Sodom, there's lots of stories there that still have truth and bearing on our lives today. We can't just jettison them because we think we're more evolved or we think we understand better or we think somehow culture has shifted and our awareness is, is somehow more enlightened than it was back then. God's word hasn't changed. Somebody asked me once if our denominational position on this was going to change. And to be clear, we haven't said it yet, but I mean, our, our position is pretty clear that we believe God's plan for human sexual activity is between one woman and one man in the covenant of marriage. And anything outside of that is not God's plan. It's important we say anything outside of that. Anything. So anything. if I'm sleeping with my high school girlfriend, that is not God's plan. 
If I'm cheating on my wife with my next door neighbor, that is most assuredly not God's plan. If I'm involved in a same-sex relationship with another man, that is not God's plan. I'm staring at pornography in the middle of the night with my wife in the next room. That's not God's plan. As we say in the book, there is more than enough heterosexual sin in the church to grieve the heart of God. And so as important as I think this book is, I also want to make sure we don't treat same-sex relationships as the greatest sin facing the church today. My hunch is there's way more heterosexual dysfunction and sin in our churches than homosexual, in part because the people who are LGBTQ plus have probably left us or don't feel safe admitting it. And how do we all surrender to what God's plan is? God's plan that was laid out to us in places like Deuteronomy that are still applicable today. That's right. We have to be able to read this and involve this and wrestle with it and figure out what what still counts and what doesn't. And hopefully we address that well in the book. Yeah, the call is to follow Jesus, and the call is for all people, regardless of the sexual sin, to follow Jesus in the way that is pure and right and holy, not because it's it's punitive, but because it's life-giving, because it's free, because the best way for us is in that. Um, let Let me turn and talk about one more thing here as we kind of draw to a close today. Great thoughts, Bruce. So here, here's a thing that I think is, is helpful to our people is to kind of say, what do we mean when we talk about X, Y, or Z? For a fact, you know, someone might identify as gay. What does someone mean by that? And what is really, how do we deal with that or keep that separate from actual, you say sexual activity in the book a lot. Let's just be honest. That means participating with another person in what could be deemed as sex. Sure. So, when we talk about activity versus temptation versus help us unpack and define some of those terms. Yeah, I think that's important. And I think it's important to ask people because if someone stands up and says, I'm gay, there are a whole lot of assumptions that those who are listening are going to make. You're actively engaged with, you know, a partner, you have a different partner every night, you know, you're, you know, this horrible, wicked person that we never want around children because you're a pedophile. I mean, there's lots of assumptions faulty assumptions people make where the person may just simply be saying, I know I'm attracted to people of the same sex as me. That's all I'm saying. I mean, that, that's all that that can mean. So in the book, that is how I choose to use that term. If someone identifies as LGBTQ+, they're just telling you what they're attracted to. Or when it comes to trans persons, how they see themselves, how they identify themselves. It doesn't refer to whether or not they're doing anything with that. So there are many books out there that you can find. West Hill may be among the most well-known that you'll read, who identify as a gay Christian man. But as he reads the scripture, he would say, I need to be celibate then. Because, well, the exact same thing we would say. His desires do not align with what we would say is God's plan for human sexual activity. And so he knows, even though he has these temptations, He needs to learn to resist them in the exact same way. I didn't get married till I was 29. And so can I resist my heterosexual temptations all those 29 years beforehand, or, you know, at least when I started noticing them, how do we learn to live and surrender our desires to the Lordship of Christ? That's the issue. Jesus himself was tempted. You know, he just didn't sin. So our temptations aren't what condemn us. It's what we do with them. And if someone is tempted toward same-sex relationships, I don't think that should condemn them either. It's more of what do they then do with them? 
And how do we as the church come alongside them and help them resist temptation and walk in the way of Jesus? That is the key that we have to focus on and let people talk through it. Uh, As we say many times in the book, as many other writers have written, the majority of people who identify as LGBTQ plus who don't want to be in the church anymore have left not because of the church's position. It's because of more of the posture the church has taken towards them. They feel condemned. They don't feel loved. They don't feel heard. They most definitely don't feel safe. And so how do we welcome you while standing where we stand? I mean, there's a reason the book is titled what it is. We have a position we stand on, and we're going to love from that, though. We're not going to shake the finger. We're going to extend the hand. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to lie to you. But we're going to love you and help you become all that God wants you to be, regardless of what your temptations and struggles are. The same as we do for everybody who walks in our door, whether they're addicted to chocolate, whether they have a gambling problem, it doesn't matter. We all have our struggles. How do we welcome people into our churches and help them find wholeness and healing in Christ? That's the challenge. So I do believe, though, that there some things carry a weight that other things do not. So, you know, oh, like sure. for instance, once upon a time um, before being married to Barb, I'm currently married. I was married once before. Now, try navigating that path while you're serving as the worship leader in a church with a very large attendance on a Sunday morning. And it was difficult. It was one of the most difficult seasons of my life. But in regards to the church, I I had to fill out paperwork. If you're an elder, you probably have heard of the divorce clearance process. And I had to sit before four different boards and committees and be examined. So it's interesting that just so we're clear, I mean, there there are other things that carry a lot of weight too. I'm, I now see it, believe me, at one time I thought, oh man, this is really tough. You know, I wonder if, if I'm not, you know, if, if I'm not being dignified or valued, but the truth was it was a very loving process. Yes. And so I think, you know, pastoral examination is a, is a big part of this too, just like we do with many people, um, because some things do carry a, a more, tra- wouldn't you say that this is one of those issues that probably does carry a little more weight than some other issues, though? Well, if, if it's not a heavier issue, it certainly is perceived much different than many other issues. And so it's going to be weightier to the congregation, to the pastor, to the people that one is serving or worshiping alongside of. It's part of a conversation I just had yesterday uh, with a couple that are going into ministry, and one identifies as non-binary, and, and they were wondering, would this hurt them in ministry? And I said, well, it really depends on lots of things. But knowing who they are and how they're surrendering to Christ and trying to grow through that, I don't think there's a, a theological issue. But there are places where, because if you say that, people will struggle and, and they need to be able to work through it and to talk through it. And it is a much, much, much bigger issue to them than if you came in and said I have a gambling problem. And part of this also, let's just be honest, many people in many pews hide their pornography addiction very well. You don't know it because they're not sitting there on their iPhone looking at whatever websites during church. But if you're two men saying they're holding hands, that's pretty visible. Everyone can see. And so your, your quote unquote sin, it, it, it is more visible. It is more difficult. I think the church still has yet to figure out how do we talk through this. And that's another big reason I think for the book is to try to give us some language so we can have conversations with people and learn to talk about our temptations, whatever they may be, and how we surrender them to Christ, and how we then align with this other body of believers known as free Methodists, 
who believe this is God's plan for human sexual activity. If you're not aligned with that, well, you're not aligned with that. That's all we're saying. We're not saying you can't be a part of us. We're not saying you're no good. This is who we are and how we choose to understand God's word, how we understand the breadth of history and the way this has been understood across the world. Um, You know, some of the newer things are fairly, fairly recent. I don't want to say innovations, but certainly approaches to sexuality. And my degree being in the early church, I get really nervous when we jettison 1900 years of church history since the time of Christ. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a bigger issue. If I confess to, uh, well, in a superintendent search committee, if I go in and tell them that, you know, I, I, I get a little angry and I yell and I swear sometimes. Um, yeah, okay. If I tell them that I struggle with homosexual tendencies, you know, or temptation, that raises way more red flags, I think, for people. And so how do we help local churches see what God is doing in the person? You know, I've shared with you before, we had a ministry to strippers in our last church, and people used to argue, how can you let them come? They come, they pray, they read the Bible, then they go to the club and take their clothes off. That's not God's will. My answer was, well, of course that's not God's will. But instead of looking at how far short they still are, why don't you look at how far God has brought them and how they're moving closer and closer? Because you could see growth in each of these women's lives. And it was beautiful. No, they were not yet as they should be. Who of us would say that we are, but they were growing. And so how do we create a denomination filled with lots of local churches where people can come and grow into the likeness of Christ, setting behind, you know, the past and those other things that have so easily ensnared and entangled us, those things that too often defined us. And, you know, back to where we started, finding our identity as a child of God. How do we learn to grow into that? That's, I think, the challenge. And and what I'm hoping this book helps our people talk through and figure out and do. One of the things that comes to mind is part of our communion liturgy, where we pray together and say, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are opened, all desires known, from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. We all confess that together. It'll help us. It'll help humble us. You use a phrase in the book where you talk about that we will radiate love from where we stand. Yeah. How, how can we get people to take one step in the direction of radiating love if really, as they're listening to this conversation, either uh, anger comes up, Mm. from where we stand or thoughts of judgment come up from where we stand or thoughts of condemnation come up from where we stand or thoughts of just wanting to avoid come from where we stand. How can we move in the direction of love? Well, I think even when you quoted from the collect a little bit ago, all of us are confessing this beautiful prayer uh, together. And I think part of love, well, By definition, love implies more than a singular entity. It's either me and God. I have this love of God, but it's a love of the other. And so to love, to get beyond judgment, condemnation, hatred, and to be sure there may need to be places where there is judgment and condemnation, but I shouldn't get to there without first spending time getting to know the person Mm -hmm. and building some community. How are we inviting you into my life? How am I involved in your life? I mean, I really believe that we are called 
to be where love touches the hands of people. I mean, how are we reaching out and really ministering and serving and not just standing back in the corner with our arms crossed or pointing a finger? Are we in the midst of it with someone so that we can understand, Mm. maybe not personally, because I don't have those temptations, but I can see your authentic struggle. I can see you genuinely want to honor God. So let me help you do that rather than just castigating you with words from my relatively elevated position where it's easy for me to make assumptions. I think we start by trying to just, you know, get to know one another and talking through it. And so if my immediate reaction is, no, this sounds like license, the most loving thing I can do is point out that they are in sin and they risk eternal separation from God. And I need to tell them that then find someone that you can talk with about that rather than you telling them talk, because I think people are interested in dialogues. Very few of us want to engage in a monologue where someone is just talking at us. Mm. So how do we listen and love and do it together in relationship? How do we, well, as we say in the book, how do I will your good to you? I will the good is a phrase that you'll see to one of the chapter titles that comes up. Is that my approach? And I can convince myself, well, yeah, I don't want them to burn. So I'm going to, you know, stand on the street corner and tell them they're going to. Okay, but I can still meet that end goal. I don't want them to be separated from God. Is a more effective way not to generate some trust, to build relationships, Mm -hmm. to get in a place where they will listen to you and not turn you away. And so what is the more loving approach that still gets to the same place? We're not trying to condone sin. Nothing in this is giving a pass for what we believe God has said consistently is not God's will. But it is calling us to be loving in how we call people to this holiness, to this repentance, to this new life. Well, thank you, Bruce, for writing the book. Thank you for being brave and stepping into this place. Uh, I know this book has been written with great care under the guidance of our bishops and great endorsements from theologians in our FM family that we love and trust. And uh, it's recommended to every pastor. So friends, the title of the book is Loving From Where We Stand, A Call to Biblically Faithful Ministry with the LGBTQ Plus Community. You can find it at freemethodistbooks.com. It's going to be on pre-order and we will be shipping them just as soon as it's in print. The manuscript is in editing now. Thank you, Bruce. Just thank you so much. Just for your your own love, the smile on your face as we've been talking. I mean, it's just so helpful for all of us. Thank you, my friend, and all that you do too, Brett. I really appreciate it. 